and I haven't seen any of it because that was under embargo and I've had other things. Yes, um, so I've been playing around with the Avic recording already. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Android Police Podcast. My name is Daniel Bader. It is September 2nd, the first official day of IFA 2022. It is also Lord of the Rings Day. Happy Lord uh, Rings of Power Day for anybody who celebrates. I don't know. It's it's the end of the week. I'm excited. We're also really happy to have Manuel Fonau back on the show all the way from Berlin at, at IFA. So I'll... Uh, I'll let you say hello first, Manuel. How are you doing? Hello, everyone. Uh, happy to be on the show. I'm doing good. I've been at IFA for, I think, three days now. Not at IFA itself, but at all sorts of pre-briefings, at all sorts of meetings, and I've seen all sorts of interesting products, and I'm happy to be talking to you all about this. I, I don't believe you. There's <laughs> there's officially nothing interesting at IFA. Um, but we will we will challenge we will challenge my beliefs. You can prove me wrong if you want. Also, this week on the show, R. Wagner, are you alive? Barely. It's good to have you back, boss. <sighs> it's good to be back. Sort of. It's been a week. It's been a week. Uh, and uh, that other guy, Will Saddleberg. <laughs> what's what's going on? I'm good. How are you? Um, I'm not so good. I I don't want to hear your voice. To be oh, honest, God. it's just it grates my ears. It makes everything worse. But I'll deal with it because uh, the show must go on. So, uh, anyway, how are you? Are you doing okay, Will? I'm doing all right. I'm tired. Threw my back out reviewing the the Watch Five Pro. Uh, twenty seven. Healed. This guy is twenty seven years 27. old. Twenty seven. And no, I did it right before my birthday though, which made it's me coming, feel it's co- even older. <laughs> Time stops for nobody. Yeah. Time stops but, for uh, nobody. But I'm no, actually that's healed, so that's good. I'm actually pleased to hear that in some in some ways because. Uh, it makes me feel better about my own terrible back, <laughs> uh, which is, I think, worse at 37. But, um, you know, it gives me some comfort to know that the youth are also experiencing bad backs. I did it cleaning the house, too, if it makes you feel. I wasn't, it was post-run. I didn't even do it on a run or whatever. I did it, I, I did it cleaning the house. You should have okay. just said that you did it then. Nope. I just want to say, though, like like all, all pretend... Uh, pr- pretend like like ragging on you aside. Yeah. Your Watch Five Pro review was like one of the best <laughs> reviews I've ever read. Thank it was you. awesome. So 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 thorough. Fantastic job, Ara. Yours was excellent too. But I've I've been reading your reviews for many years. It was you yeah. Know, that's not surprising. But yeah, Will, you you like blew that one out of the water. Thank it you. was so much fun to read. Uh, thank you for taking one for the team on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. On, on that review, because uh, we we had some internal discussions about who would who would take that one. It was fun until it wasn't, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, I get it. Just inside baseball, we were going to give Taylor that review and the Buds Two Pro, and because uh, Taylor is is our wearables editor and our audio editor, so we we're like, here, have both of them, and then we we're like, wait a second, we actually want somebody who like runs regularly and. Uh, is also available to do the reviews for the Watch 5 Pro. So they asked everyone else and then they asked Taylor again and then they came to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you were you were ninth on the list, but we're glad you did it eventually. Yeah, All right, sorry let's man, get I don't to... do running. I just power walk. Disney doesn't allow you to run. And that's where that's I do f- all my fitness. That's for the best. Um because <laughs> if you if you're running oh, if around I... with that with that holster, <laughs> I, I don't know if they'd uh, if they'd be very pleased with you. <laughs> 
All right, let's jump right in. So we're going to start with just the stuff that's happening at IFA. This is the trade show that hasn't really been a thing for two years. I mean, most tech trade shows haven't been a thing. Uh, the last in-person one was 2019. They canceled the 2020 and 2021 versions. No, 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 hold uh, up. Did it all online. It was it was bad. I mean, there was some representation last year, right? right? But it, like most companies just weren't there. If, as far as I remember. 2021 had a super small version of the EFA. So like there was a in per yeah. an in-person event, uh, but like nobody was there. So that's why we also didn't go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember it was like around the Delta wave pre-Omicron. People were like, oh, it'll happen again. But nobody actually wanted to take that risk. So this is the first time it's back in person in a large way. Manuel, what's the vibe there like? Are people just like back in the swing of things? Are all the companies that you anticipated there being being there actually there? How are the products? Like, give us the lay of the land. So compared to 2019, the IFA does feel a little smaller this year. So today is the first day that it's open to the public and it's packed. There are a lot of people there. You will notice that it's post pandemic times because a lot of people are still wearing masks. I would say the majority isn't, but there are still a lot of people wearing masks and protecting themselves. But the 2022 IFA, as I said, feels smaller because a few of the companies that we would usually expect here haven't come. So there's, for example, Oppo, which decided to skip IFA this year and make an event in um, Paris instead at the same time, where we also had our own acting editor-in-chief, James Peckham. He was there and looked at the new Oppo Reno phone. And um, a few other companies are also not here. But the halls themselves, they feel full. The Samsung Cube is filled up. It's a weird situation. It feels like it's not the full thing, but it's back. And I think next year it's going to be bigger. So of the products that you've seen so far, which ones kind of stand out to you? Have you been impressed with LG's flashing refrigerator or its bendable monitor or many of the other gimmicks that LG brought to the show or have some of the more practical products maybe from like Honor or Sony or many of the smaller accessory makers caught your eye? That's the thing, right? Um, I have the feeling that there are fewer products launches at this EFA than in previous years. So as you said, there's this fun LG stuff. As you said, the flashing fridge, the bending um, display. It's all fun and interesting stuff, but it feels like there's a lot less than usually. I have been quite impressed with some of the things that Lenovo brought here, actually. Lenovo brought its new version of its um, folding computer with it. Um, it's basically a 16-inch tablet that folds in half and lives in a footprint of a netbook, of an 11-inch netbook, when it's not in use. And um, you can unfold it by half and then add a keyboard accessory on top. So you have like a small netbook with you that you can use. You can unfold it completely and use a full 16-inch screen with a laptop. And when I had my hands on it, like the first thing I thought about was, what would Google do with a product like this? So um, will we be seeing an Android version of something like this? at some point and or a Chromebook version, a Chrome OS version, because Google is back with Android for tablets and Google is back with Chrome OS for tablets. Uh, so those are like really interesting form factors that we might be seeing soon. Are they back? 
Like, well, they're working on it. Is it is it worth talking? Well, I, I know, but I think after the slate was released in 2018, Google tacitly just accepted that Chrome OS for tablets was not going to ever be the focus for the ecosystem again, right? I mean, Google continues to improve the touch experience on Chrome OS, if I'm not mistaken, but like whether they're ever going to endorse it. Oh. Here are other things you can try. <laughs> yeah. Google Google also doesn't know how to do uh, obviation of, of voice either. So um, anyway, the e Chrome OS tablet ecosystem, I, I would say, is is dead and or dying. But uh, no, is it not? Like, come on. Lenovo brought out the Duet 3 earlier this year. The Duet 5 is still doing pretty well. The HP X2 was I'm not saying as it's heck at launch. I think it's still a viable subset of the market, and especially with the way that Chrome OS tablets can compete against Android tablets. Now that we have Chrome OS supporting high frame rate screens, once we can get some of the higher frame rate screens into tablets those could actually be a very compelling tablet option for people who want to have a tablet, don't want an iPad, and want something that will get updates for more than two or three years. Because Android updates on the tablet side, Samsung is the only one that keeps like any consistent record of updates, it seems like. That's fair. I do want to just acknowledge this. I mean, we can talk about the Lenovo it's called the ThinkPad X1 Fold. It's the second gen version of it. I think the major improvement here is that it's not running a garbage Intel chip, not really made for the form factor. Now it's running a, a cooler 12th gen Intel chip. But I do want to talk a little bit about this 120 hertz Lenovo Chromebook that the company launched during IFA at the same time. Ara, what's like the the TLDR on that? Because you say that it has a 120 hertz display, it has a 360 hertz touch sampling rate, but it's certainly not optimized for games. Um, no, the 360 hertz uh, refresh rate is for the second gen Tab P11 Pro. So that's- Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Lenovo IdeaPad 5i Chromebook, 16 inch. I need them to start using other numbers besides 5i because there's too many of them at this point. I'm sorry, Lenovo. I love you. I like that you try to have consistency. At least vary the names a little bit more. But it's a 16-inch Chromebook with a 2.5K display that has 120 hertz refresh rate. And they uh, they advertise it as being great for like streaming movies and watching local content. And meanwhile, I'm over here thinking, I don't think that most... I don't even think most browser streaming options have... The option for 2K on a Chrome, uh, just anywhere, but especially on a Chromebook. And so many of the apps for streaming services do not support 2K at this time on the Android app, which is what Chromebooks would use. So I'm, I'm not sure why they're positioning it there. What I would have loved to have seen here would have been the 120 hertz panel paired with like an i5 or an i7. So that way it could have potentially run Steam. Because the processor options here are a Pentium and an i3. What about Stadia? You could stream Stadia pretty well on this thing. Yeah, I guess that's true. Although, do any Stadia games support 120 FPS? I, I don't know. Probably not. Some of them do, I'm sure. But Manuel, you saw this in person, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's correct. 
walk us through this product because like, how does Chrome OS look at 120 Hertz? What struck you as the big takeaways about Lenovo's Android or Chrome focused announcements? I have to say, honestly, um, I didn't have that much time with it, but the little time I did have with it, I spent mostly just browsing the web and hence you don't really notice 120 hertz that much for scrolling through web pages, uh, at least on this big screen and like loading the pages and everything. And so I was like more concerned with the build quality, which struck me as not so great. The keyboard is okay to type on, but like the plastic beneath it, like it bends easily when you press in the keys and that makes for a pretty unpleasant experience. And given that I'm personally somebody who types for a living, that's like something that's very important to me. I do like all of that real screen estate though. Uh, like I can imagine uh, this also just from the size of it being a great tool for work. Yeah, I, that keyboard layout stresses me out. I, I hate when laptops have a numpad to the right and everything, including the touchpad, the mouse is like oriented a little bit to the left. It just messes with my brain too much. I like the symmetry of a regular layout laptop keyboard, but you know, I suppose there are going to be people that really enjoy this. And the fact that it's a massive 16 inch display, 16 by 10 aspect ratio, a lot of people are, are probably going to be pretty happy with this. The 350 nit brightness claim is a little concerning, right? You're not going to really be able to use this outside, but aside from that, it looks pretty good. I thought the max brightness on this was 300 nits, but I might be mixing up my spec sheets between the Chromebook and the tablets a little. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it looks like an interesting Chromebook as like a work laptop or as like something you give like a high school student or a middle school student. I just don't know whether or not it's going to be priced reasonably enough for it to compete in those categories. We don't have U.S. pricing on it and the European pricing on it is 550 euro. Oof, that's that's not cheap. Yeah, no, that's it. They, they say this is a premium Chromebook and I'm like, if this is a premium Chromebook, you definitely messed up your processors. Like this is yeah, a premium. Yeah, i3 or Pentium. Yeah. That's just gross. And, and like the build quality, like I, I just want to stress that, like it doesn't feel like a um, premium product. It feels like an entry level product. Well, it might not have been a, it might not have been a finalized product that, at Eva, considering if we don't have North American availability, I want to say the availability for Europe was a little bit out as well. I love that companies announce Chromebooks like six months before they come out still. <laughs> like that's, how is that a thing? It doesn't make sense. It's, it just seems like it is, it's like this for Chromebooks. Acer does it. Asus does it. Lenovo does it. Is, I just, I, I don't get it. Why is this, why is the release cycle so protracted when it doesn't feel like that's true of, of Intel or Windows-based laptops? I'm not entirely sure, but the fact that every board is set to, okay, whichever board or model you have, it's either going to be June of this year or June of next year for when that starts, and then you have eight years from then. So it's like, okay, mm -hmm. we're, in, we're, we're on this board, so we're not technically authorized yet. We're not released yet. So they can like show it off to media and press, but it won't arrive until that board is cleared and has its AUE date set possibly. Oh, okay, so it's Google's fault. They want they want every laptop to be released around the UAE dates. Well, the AUE date is June no matter oh, what AUE time dates. it uh, yeah. The automatic update expiration date is 
June, no matter when it releases, basically. Because they set all of them to the end, uh, to June, because that's basically the end of the school year. And this was primarily an enterprise and education-focused system for so long. But yeah, I'm, I don't entirely get seeding pre-production units as early as they do for Chromebooks. Uh, they're fun to play with sometimes. I've got the Acer Chromebook Vero that I've been playing around with, and it's, my unit was, de- uh, was a pre-production, like, sample, and it's definitely, you can tell it's pre-production. I feel like for Chromebooks, it's like, okay, this isn't entirely finished yet, but here you can look at it and here you can play with it a little bit. Yeah, that sounds pretty familiar. This is the game that every every manufacturer plays, but again, there must be a reason for it. Manuel, I want to hear a little bit about the Lenovo Glasses T1, this like set of wired or connected, it's not AR or VR glasses, but it sort of gives you the ability to sort of watch content privately when connected to your computer. Walk us through what this actually does. Right, so I went hands-on with these uh, at IFA, and it's essentially what you just described. So like, it's a very bulky pair of glasses that you put on, and there's a wire that you connect to your phone or your computer. It's compatible with Android, iOS, Windows, and macOS, and you can use it as like a big screen that's floating in front of your face. At the briefing that I attended, I was told that it will be possible to adjust the glasses for different sizes. You can bend parts of it and you can like shape it so that it fits your face better. But like in the limited time that I spent with it, it felt too heavy. It wanted to slip down my nose all of the time. And I had quite some trouble seeing the top part of the screen that was floating in front of me because the frame at the top of the frame just felt very big and in the way. And so I'm like wondering if it's like just a setup problem or if it's just uh, still a pre-production unit that's a little flawed in these regards. Um, They told me that it's like near finalized hardware and that they would only tweak the software. So I would assume that there will be some things you can do to fix that in the software. But like overall, I find the concept of it super interesting to have like a big screen that just floats in front of you on a plane or on a train just for either entertainment purposes or like for work purposes. In a few generations out, I can see that being something quite pleasant to have. Although I'm wondering what's the real difference to Daydream, to Google's Daydream at this point, because that already tried to do that in a VR environment and failed. So it's just curious to see how the market changes and how things like these develop. I think the difference is the display technology is a lot better than it was five, six years ago. I mean, I saw something like this at CES, I want to say in like 2015, 2016. The quality of the displays was absolutely garbage. The density was bad. The field of view was limited, right? You're getting two 1080p micro OLED screens it's a 60 hertz panel, but there will be support for 90 and 120 hertz in, in future versions. It's an interesting prospect, and I certainly don't think this will ever be a consumer product, right? This is going to be for enterprise in a number of use cases. But I think the fact that it's tethered is not going to make this an easy sell, even for you know the enterprise market. This is mainly focusing on privacy, yeah, I don't know. It's it's fascinating. I mean, it's not even being released outside of China, but it's a good proof of concept. And I think eventually, 
products like this will have to include AR and VR features in order to become a bit more mainstream. I like the fact that these are proofs of concept for improved display technology, which is something that every manufacturer releasing AR and VR experiences is trying to push. So that part I think is, is fascinating. Yeah, as I said, it's, it's an interesting uh, product and the prospect of it is interesting. So let's move on. Let's talk about the Sony Xperia 5 Mark IV. Will, this is, this is a weird one, right? Sony does two big releases a year, the, the Xperia 1 and then the Xperia 5. This is the smaller version of the flagship, but it's still positioned as a flagship. This is by no means a like cheap phone. It's still $1,000. It's still running kind of the latest and greatest tech, although not the latest and like the, the greatest, greatest, but it's interesting. So walk us through what the value prop is for a phone like right. this. Yeah. So I think it's affordable for Sony phones, I would say, because the one Mark IV was, was $1,600, right? And, and this is essentially, like you said, like a smaller version, a smaller display, but otherwise like kind of the same experience you would get on that phone uh, as you said it's running a, a snapdragon 8 gen 1 not an 8 plus um which is a bummer because this phone is launching they say at the end of october which is really quick for sony slow for everyone else but really quick for sony they usually take months between announcement and and retail availability so that's cool but we've seen that the snapdragon 8 plus is actually like a pretty big improvement over the original eight i've been using the z fold 4 and it's it's great it never gets hot the battery is great like performance is excellent um i would have liked to see that here but it's not here eight gigabytes of ram which is fine i you know you have a, a 6.1 inch 1080p oled it is running at 120 hertz but for a thousand dollars i think you know scaling it down to 1080p even at six inches is kind of a bummer it is using two of the three cameras from the one Mark IV, which is, you know, kind of Sony's big selling point for these is that they're they're for content creators. Like the one Mark IV, it's got three 12 megapixel cameras. The 24 millimeter wide lens and the 16 millimeter ultra wide lens are, uh, I mean, I have not tried out the phone, but seem to be identical on paper to to what we saw on the one Mark IV. Uh, the, the biggest difference is that the, the optical zoom lens that was on the one Mark IV, which was by all accounts, very cool is is not here. It's it's just a 60, 60 millimeter telephoto lens. Um, you still have a headphone jack. I'm sure there are people excited about that. If you're willing to drop a thousand dollars, like it, it'll get you your wired headphones. But yeah, I I I struggle to know exactly who this is for that won't spring for. I mean, I mean, for a thousand dollars, you can get a Z Flip Four. You can you can buy. I mean, you can buy pretty much any other Android flagship, including stuff on the horizon like the Pixel Seven Pro. Yes, except Sony doesn't want to sell to that audience, right? It keeps yeah. pushing this idea of like selling this phone to creators. But creators are using iOS. <laughs> like that's like I, fair. I think every TikTok star. You'd have to really look into it, but I, I would bet you that most of the TikTok stars are using are, are you know they're going to buy an iPhone 14 next week. That's fair, but also Sony. I mean, we always say this, right? Sony's been doing this for years. We I, I've been talking about how Sony doesn't care about the mainstream for sure phone audience since like 2014, and yet it continues to make phones. I think pivoting a little bit more towards what it considers to be content creators and videographers in particular 
is justified. But it's interesting that like we still don't really know how many phones Sony sells, whether its phone division is profitable, whether it cares whether its phone division is profitable, if it sort of has a halo effect on its alpha division on yeah. on all this on all this other stuff. It's not like you're seeing Sony phones in James Bond movies anymore, but it is still something that I think the company cares about. But this phone in particular, based on the reviews that I've seen, has a flaw, and that flaw is the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1. It yes. overheats. Yeah. And like you can't sell a phone that prides itself on videography if it's going to overheat shooting 120 frame video yeah. in five minutes. Like that's just not pot. Like you can't do that unless you want to move to, you know, Buffalo in the winter and, and, and then you'll <laughs> oh, be yeah, fine. Oh yeah, Toronto is so much better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have the same weather. <laughs> no, you don't. You get twice as much snow as we that's do. That's true. Um, yeah, like I said, the eight plus fixes, it, it just kind of fixes the, the Snapdragon 8. Like it's pretty good and... It's a bummer that it's not here because there's no reason that it can't be, you know, even at a thousand dollars, which is quote unquote affordable for Sony, right? Like that's that's a pretty much as cheap as an Xperia phone will come. It's like you guys could have put the latest. You know, we've seen the OnePlus 6T is $650 and that has an A plus in it, right? Like there's no reason that they could not have have sprung for Qualcomm's newest processor and especially launching at the end of October, which again is quick for Sony. But like at that point, like you would expect to see the the latest uh, uh, chipset here and it's not here. And it's it's, you know, if they're going to push, oh, you can record at 4K, like you said, 4K at 120. Like, yeah, you can for a few minutes and then you can't. Right. <laughs> exactly. So a thousand dollars. Decent display. Other yeah. hardware seems fine. Yeah. Releasing in October, so you won't have to wait a million years. No, I don't think it's like it's like a disaster or whatever. I just like you know, we especially like in like Europe and and especially in in North America. I guess really is like we've seen such a there's so so many fewer competitors than there were even a few years ago. You know, you don't have an HTC anymore. LG is gone. I think there is space for Sony to play here if they really wanted to, but it's just not at these prices and they'll never be more than a, a niche competitor because of that. I mean, we, we have to say that the Xperia 1 Mark IV, which was announced in May, is yeah. still not available. Yeah. You still cannot buy that thing. It's yeah. coming out this month. I, yeah, so, I was looking at our coverage from May and it's like, it'll start selling on September 1st, which just happened to be- Oh yeah, so it is technically available now. But, uh, but it's, their website still says pre-order uh, estimated delivery uh, September 22nd. So we'll we'll see. But yeah, that Amazing. phone has not shipped either. So, All right, let's talk quickly about this Galaxy A23. It was- I think previously announced, but it's now coming to the U.S. It's under three hundred dollars. Pretty yeah. good value. What's what's the TLDR here? I think this phone is really interesting, which is weird for a, an A series and, and even a, especially like kind of a lower end A series phone in North America at least, because there's you know there's endless A series devices. But but we really have the A fifty three, which dropped earlier this year for four hundred and fifty bucks, and we have the A thirteen which is a more budget-focused model at 250 So I'm going to focus on the A13 for a minute, and then and then I'll come back around to the A53 and how this compares to both of those. So if, if you drop $50 more than what the A13 would get you, this gets you a, a better processor. It's a Qualcomm Snapdragon 695, which is not 
incredible by any means, but it should get you better performance and better battery life than the Dimensity 700 that's in the A13. It's got four gigabytes of RAM. It's got 64 gigabytes of expandable storage. All of that is pretty standard for this price range. The big highlight is a 6.6 inch full HD display at 120 hertz, which we're seeing 120 hertz screens at, at $300 phones now. And I think that's that's impressive. This is, you know, a higher resolution than the A13. It's a faster refresh rate than the A13. And I think for 50 bucks, I think most people should make the jump to this phone if you're comparing the two. Uh, it, it's out now. You can you can go to a carrier store and buy it. That said, the A53, we've seen drop to like, I want to say like 350 it's not that much more than the A23 is, is you know, starting at. And, you know, Black Friday is right around the corner. And I wonder if we're going to see the A53 kind of start dropping closer and closer to that $300 price point anyway, which puts the A23 in kind of a weird place where it's both like a good deal and also like maybe you should wait unless you really need a phone. Yeah, I mean, this is not a phone that most people in our audience will no, care about. No. But the thing that I, I, I keep coming back to is that our data shows that every time we review an A-series phone, especially the under $500 ones, it has a longer tail because yeah. so many people walk into a T-Mobile or Verizon or AT&T store and they pick one of these up for nothing. And then, you know, they actually have a, pre- a pretty good experience. It's it's eight bucks a month if you pay monthly for it. Like it basically is free, right? You're not really going to notice that if you're paying X amount of dollars per month for your carrier bill. So yeah, like I think it looks like it's going to be pretty good. I'm just curious about like, you know, if the A53 keeps falling in price, like does that end up being the better buy, right? But it's so, they're so similar. It's It's such a weird phone, you know? It, it, like like the biggest selling point with the A53 was like, oh, it's got 120 hertz. It's it's a 1080p, you know, it's an OLED, so it, it'll probably look better than the LCD panel here, although we'll have to see it first to, to see, but they're not that dissimilar. Yeah, I mean, this is Samsung, right? There's a phone for every price. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's how they like it. Staying on Samsung for a second, the iPhone event is next Wednesday, the 7th of September. Samsung released a cheeky little ad mm-hmm. all about the S22 Ultra and the Flip 4 mm-hmm. saying that, you know, iPhone what? Um, this is not surprising. <laughs> no. I do think it's interesting that with the Fold 4 and Flip 4 getting as much mainstream attention this year as they have been, uh, they're maybe in a better position to compete with the new iPhones. It's not a one-to-one comparison, obviously, right? You, you have an $1,800 fold and a $1,000 flip. That's really just a completely different value prop, but I don't know. I've been using the Fold 4 for a few days. It's by far my favorite phone of the I, year. I'm having I, so much. I, I was I was, uh, I was sitting in the living room with my partner last night and, and, and I was just using it. And she was like, you really like that? I was like, yeah, it's just fun. Like, it's just fun to use. <laughs> like, it is. It's so fun. <laughs> I don't know if because the Pixel 7 is on the horizon, like I don't know if it'll stay my my daily driver. And, but but like, yeah, like it's just fun to open up and use like a little tablet like it, it's it's really fun. Yeah, this ad is interesting. I think I think exactly what you said with the, the $1,800 Fold 4. I think that's why they don't highlight it in this video. They stick to the S22 Ultra and the Flip 4 because those are both around $1,000. And I think with next week's iPhones, we're expecting the pro models to, to see a price jump to $1,100, $1,200, depending on what size you're getting. So I do think they're kind of trying to target, well, what phones are roughly in the same price range. 
it's so interesting because I think Samsung really highlights like, oh, look at how innovative we are, right? Like your new iPhone's not going to turn any head. You're not going to be able to take astrophotography. And I think that's an interesting perspective in a year where like, the, especially the the fold and the the flip are like very iterative updates. Like, you know, they're good phones, but like no one is running out you know, if they had a flip three and a fold three, or most people aren't running out if they had a flip three and a fold three to upgrade, unless you're a diehard day one Samsung fan. Well, consider how small the foldable segment of the market really is at this point. I agree. And- I, I, yeah, I just think it's, it's, I'm really playing devil's advocate here. Whereas it's, it's just like, it's an interesting, like Samsung has kind of slowed down on pushing the flip and the fold in, in bold new directions. And I hope they do next year. I think they're due for, for some design changes, but it's just funny that this is the year they picked to really focus on, on innovation when those models were pretty stagnant in terms of like big changes. Well, think about it this way. They were all small changes, but they added up to significant improvements in the durability and the longevity of these phones. Mm-hmm. I'd also argue that they focused on the Flip 4 and the S22 Ultra because basically all of the carriers are giving away the Flip 4 if you have a trade-in. Right. And for the S22 Ultra, they're still doing like some pretty decent incentives for those as well. So I think it's a matter of, okay, we can push these phones. They're ones that are easily attainable so long as you are on an unlimited plan it can trade in. And these are high quality phones. A hundred percent. Like I said, I am coming at this from the outside perspective to to make a counterpoint to to what I think is generally a pretty effective ad uh, in terms of of targeting, you know, Apple hype for next week. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to belabor the Fold 4 stuff because I want to get to the rest of the IFA announcements. But I will say, so I had the Fold 3. I hated using the t- the front screen because it was too narrow. The three millimeter imp- increase in, in, in diameter is like an enormous usability upgrade. See, I thought I was crazy. This is the first fold I've used, and I prefer to browse, if I'm on Twitter, I prefer it on the front screen. I don't think it has, is a very good like big screen experience because it just everything's blown up. So I, I've been using a lot of, like if I'm on Twitter, I'm just using the phone closed, and I was like, this isn't bad. I know everyone everyone says the front screen is like unusable. Like I'm having a fine time and it's not. It's much 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 yeah. better than the 3. Anyway, I want to I want to get to the other announcements. Manuel, let's do a quick lightning round of of everything else. So, Nokia announced a boring phone. Nobody needs to care about this, but uh <laughs> they have a new phone subscription called Circular. Walk us through exactly what that is cuz I I don't think most other companies would would ever approach a phone subscription model, but HMD Global seems to think that it'll it'll catch on. Uh, yes, so as you said, Nokia has launched a new circular phone subscription at IFA, and they say that it is meant to cut down on e-waste by leasing you a handset for a period of time and then recycling it instead of uh, you just keeping it in your drawer and then at some point having five phones in your drawer because you don't want to let go of them. And that scheme is first launching in the United Kingdom and in Germany, but HMD Global says it will bring it to other markets soon. What this reminded me of is actually uh, Fairphone, because Fairphone has just launched a similar product this year, where you can pay a certain deductible, uh, a certain fee every month, and that will give you a Fairphone 4. They will also work on recycling the units that you return and then 
reusing parts or reusing the whole phone for other subscribers. So like it's nothing really 100% new. And if you think about it, phone subscriptions, we've had those for years, like they're just carrier deals. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think this is this is interesting. It certainly suits the European market more than the US one. I like the idea, right? I like the idea that there's an element of this that focuses on sustainability. Yeah, the idea is good. Whether it'll catch on, whether HMD Global is selling a lot of Nokia phones is another story. The phone that was announced, uh, the X30 5G, it's a pretty mediocre mid-range phone, nothing really to write home about. But every time Nokia announces a phone, I am reminded that they still own the PureView trademark, which used to mean something. Now it doesn't. But uh yeah, good history lesson there. Hiroshi Lockheimer tweeted that Android 14 would support satellite uh, connectivity. This was made, uh, it kind of it was a big news story last week when um, T-Mobile and Starlink sat down and said that they're going to start allowing T-Mobile phones to connect to Starlink satellites at the end of 2023 for, um, you know, to, to patch connectivity holes in in parts of the world um you know extremely slow we're talking about like maybe enough bandwidth for a few text messages but like you're not going to be browsing the internet when connected to starlink but i think what's fascinating about this is that it's using existing lte spectrum we we're, we're not sure if it's 5g or lte yet they haven't said much about how it's going to connect to the satellites but Based on some of the research that I've done, it looks like it will be using LTE, um, but it's it's using some of Team uh, Sprint's legacy PCS spectrum, um, which you know wasn't really being used terrestrially. So I think it's just fascinating. A lot of existing phones will support it out of the box, uh, and T-Mobile says that it will be offered for free with some of its plans. So Android 14 is going to officially support satellite connectivity. Uh, there are some other competitors out there competing for being first in this space. We're also expecting Apple to make an announcement with Global Star, which is another satellite provider, to uh, support satellite connectivity on the new iPhones, although we're not sure if that's actually going to happen. It was rumored to launch in the on the iPhone 13 series, but it, it didn't happen. So Android 14 officially will be getting a satellite connectivity update. Finally, on this very busy IFA week, USB 4 version 2 was announced. Some minor upgrades uh, in terms of backwards compatibility with USB 3.2. But the main takeaway here is that existing cables will support twice the bandwidth up to 80 gigabits per second, which is actually quite, quite a, a significant jump, especially if you don't need to buy uh, new cables. Although most devices still don't support USB 4, especially most smartphones. So most people won't benefit from this right away, but it's nice to see that the forum is actually taking some steps to improve existing products. So you don't have to buy new cables. All right, that's it. Manuel has to run to a, another press conference. I have to run to another meeting. We all have to get back to work. So this has been a very compressed version of the Android Please podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Manuel, have a great rest of your show. We'll talk to you uh, very soon. Watch out for all of Manuel's coverage on AP. Where can people find you on, on Twitter if they want to get in touch with you? Uh, yes, so on Twitter you can find me under my handle at Manuel4now. With a V. Sounds like with an F, but it's with a V. Right. 
my name is Daniel. Uh, you can find me at Journey Dan. You can find uh, Will at Will underscore Saddleberg. You can find Ara at Ara Wagco. You can find our producer Jules at Point Jules. You can find all of us at AndroidPolice.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.